Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Right Home for Monday, August 26, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Google and Dell team up for enterprise-grade Chromebooks. Baidu makes big leaps in smart speaker market share. Binance lets you lend crypto for interest. Publishers sue Audible. And why? When it comes to autonomy, maybe we should swim before we try to drive. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Google and Dell have teamed up to produce the Latitude lineup of enterprise-grade Chromebooks. These new laptops come with 8th Gen Intel Core i7 CPUs, are the first Chromebooks to offer up to 32 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM, and SSDs of up to 1 terabyte, making these surely the most powerful Chromebooks ever available. They can also be configured with LTE with connections of up to 450 megabits per second. So again, these are serious Chromebooks meant for serious enterprise work. And to top all that off, Dell and Google are trying to make this palatable to your enterprise's IT folk. Quoting Engadget, what makes these different from the existing Chromebooks that your organization can already hand out is the behind-the-scenes stuff catering to your IT department's needs. Businesses currently using Chromebooks can add the new Chrome Enterprise upgrade and make use of the new Google Admin Console for Chrome OS, which Google says provides 10 times faster load times. This will allow admins to enable a managed Linux environment on Chromebooks, which will let them grant access to specific users, as well as offer VPN support for internal files. These are all backed by Dell's unified workspace program that IT administrators can use to oversee their entire organization's fleet of devices across different operating systems and from the cloud. Specifically on the new Latitude Enterprise Chromebooks, IT professionals will appreciate that they come with year-round 24-7 Dell support as well as Chrome Enterprise support. They'll also be able to conveniently add G Suite and Drive Enterprise via Dell, which will take on the task of reselling the Google service. This will let employees use apps like Docs, Sheets, and Slides natively on the Chromebooks without worrying about remaining online, end quote. Seems like a pretty comprehensive offering, so don't be surprised if the next time you get assigned a knockabout company laptop from your IT department, it's one of these, especially because the price is likely to be super compelling to your bosses, too. The new Latitude Chromebooks will be available to order beginning on August 27th, starting at $699 for the base model and $819 for a two-in-one version. Industry analysts Canales say that for the first time, Baidu has surpassed Google to capture 17.3% of the global smart speaker market growing 3,700% year-over-year with 4.5 million shipments in Q2 of 2019. Quote, The global smart speaker market grew 
55.4% in Q2 2019 to reach 26.1 million units. Amazon maintained the worldwide lead by shipping 6.6 million units of the Echo smart speakers. Baidu, despite only serving the China market, grew 3,700% to reach 4.5 million units in Q2 2019 after it re-entered the market with Xiaodu devices in Q2 of last year. Baidu became the second largest vendor and overtook Google, which shipped 4.3 million in the same quarter. China's smart speaker market performance outshone others as the country doubled its quarterly shipment size to 12.6 million units, more than twice as large as the U.S. market, which stands at 6.1 million units. For Baidu to replace Google to become the world's second largest smart speaker vendor is no small feat, but bears little significance as both companies operate in mutually exclusive markets. Quote, aggressive marketing and go-to-market campaigns built strong momentum for Baidu in China. The vendor stood out as a key driver of smart displays to achieve 45% smart display product mix in its Q2 shipments, said Canales research analyst Cynthia Chen. Quote, local network operators' interest in the device category soared recently. This bodes well for Baidu as it faces little competition in the smart display category, allowing the company to dominate in the operator channel, end quote. Binance, the world's largest crypto marketplace, has jumped into the lending business and will soon allow customers to lend their assets to earn interest on them. Quoting the block, the new offering dubbed Binance Lending allows holders of BNB token, Ethereum Classic, ETC, and Tether, USDT, stablecoin, to earn interest on their funds. The service will be available on a first-come, first-served basis starting from 6 a.m. UTC on August 28th to 12 a.m. UTC on August 29th. Binance said the annualized interest rate for the initial BNB lending product, which has an initial 14-day period, is set at 15%. The maximum cap per account is initially set at 500 BNB and 1 million USDT, respectively. Binance users can decide the number of tokens they want to lend at the time of subscription and will be able to retrieve funds with guaranteed interest after the designated subscription period, it added, end quote. Worth pointing out that it's also basically giving customers the ability to earn a 10% annual rate of return on Tether, which, in a zero-interest-rate environment, which we are essentially in, would be pretty darn attractive to certain pools of money. Seven top U.S. publishers have sued Audible, aiming to block the company's planned rollout of captions, a new feature that will show text on screen as a book is narrated. The publishers say this is copyright infringement. Quoting Reuters, The lawsuit was filed by seven members of the Association of American Publishers, AAP, including HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Hachette, Simon & Schuster, and Macmillan. Quote, Essentially, Audible wants to provide the text as well as the sound of books without the authorization of copyright holders, despite only having the right to sell audiobooks, AAP said in a statement, end quote. Basically, the publishers are arguing beyond the fact that Audible licenses don't include the rights to text versions of works, only audio versions. They say the machine-generated transcriptions might contain errors that harm the quality of the work, which, in my experience, with some Kindle books, would probably bear out. Quoting Bloomberg, We are surprised and disappointed by this action, and any implication that we have not been speaking and working with publishers about this feature, which is not yet launched, 
Audible said in a statement posted online. The feature called Audible Captions could compete with both physical books and ebooks, as well as cross-format products that may incorporate both audio and text, the publisher said. Audible told the publishers that the new feature could have transcription errors of as much as 6%, or about 18 pages of a 300-page book, according to the complaint, end quote. Hot on the heels of that recent weekend bonus episode where we talked about Netflix algorithms, interesting news leaked late last week that Netflix is apparently testing a new feature in its iOS app called Collections, which curates a bunch of titles into collections based on recommendations and selections from actual flesh-and-blood humans. Quoting Sarah Perez in TechCrunch, If you've been opted into the test, the collections option is available at the top right of the app's homepage, where my list would have been otherwise. You can follow the collection from the main screen, or you can tap into it to further explore its titles. If you tap a collection that interests you, it smoothly expands to show the thumbnails of the suggested titles below a header that explains what the collection is about. You can choose to follow the suggestion from there, which presumably ties into Netflix's notification system, end quote. Again, this is only a test, for now, and only available on iOS. So you either see it on your iPhone, or you don't. If you're a marketer, you probably got into marketing because you like being creative. If you're a developer, it's because you like building cool stuff. But too often, marketers and developers are stuck with old-school content management systems that make it harder to do that. Storyblock, a content management system, is here to help. Teams from Netflix, Tesla, and Oatly are among the 200,000 Storyblock users who switched from old-school systems like Sitecore, Drupal, and AEM to Storyblock. Why? Storyblock makes it easier for marketers and developers to build websites, apps, and other digital experiences and simply get shit done. For example, Storyblock has a new feature called the Ideation Room. The Ideation Room is a central space within Storyblock where you can collaborate with your teammates to come up with new ideas and refine them with the help of AI. If you want to ship your work in less time and stop wrestling with your CMS, try Storyblock for free today at Get dot storyblock.com slash ride home. That's get dot s-t-o-r-y-b-l-o-k dot com slash ride home. How many times did I quote from our next sponsor just last week? Probably almost every day. If you do listen to the show every day, you know the great work the Washington Post does. The Washington Post helps you go deeper on the news that matters most to you. Their journalists bring you the facts and provide clarity about what's happening in the industry, revealing the role tech giants and regulators play in our lives, the dangers and wonders of breakthrough technological developments, and the national conversation around things like AI. Also, did you know The Post offers a cool feature for audio lovers like you? You can conveniently listen to articles in addition to reading them, so you can catch up on the news during your commute. Think The Post only covers politics? That's not true at all. You name it, they cover it, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking. The Washington Post helps you discover a world of surprising stories, important insights, and actionable advice. From May 21st to June 3rd, you can go to WashingtonPost.com ride to subscribe for just 25 cents per week 
week for your first year. That's 90% off their typical offer, so this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com slash ride to subscribe for just 25 cents per week for your first year. If you happen to listen to this ad after June 3rd, know that we still have an amazing 50 cents per week offer just for our podcast listeners. Last week, I expressed my skepticism around Google's plans for a new anti-ad tracking standard for the web on the grounds that Google never tends to take on projects like this unless it at least shores up the moat around their existing advertising business or at worst makes things difficult for competitors. Now, granted, Apple is doing exactly this quite explicitly to Google's business with their moves around ad tracking in Safari. So I'm not trying to pile on here with any bias, but I did have my eye out over the weekend for people smarter than me that could analyze what Google is up to here. And on Freedom to Tinker, Jonathan Mayer and Avrind Narayanan came through for me. They basically accused Google of reacting to the privacy improvements made recently by Firefox and Safari to propose specious arguments that argue that blocking cookies somehow undermines privacy and Google is basically using the web standardization process to at least slow down what is probably an ongoing threat to their underlying ad business. Quote, This isn't the first time that Google has used disingenuous arguments to suggest that a privacy protection will backfire. We're calling this move privacy gaslighting because it's an attempt to persuade users and policymakers that an obvious privacy protection already adopted by Google's competitors, isn't actually a privacy protection, end quote. And quoting from later in the piece, Apple and Mozilla have tracking protection enabled by default today, and Apple is already testing privacy-preserving ad measurement. Meanwhile, Google is talking about a multi-year process for a watered-down form of privacy protection. And even that is uncertain. Advertising platforms dragged out the do-not-track standardization process for over six years without any meaningful output. If history is any indication, launching a standards process is an effective way for Google to appear to be doing something on web privacy, but without actually delivering. In closing, we want to emphasize that the Chrome team is full of smart engineers passionate about protecting their users, and it has done incredible work on web security. But it is unlikely that Google can provide meaningful web privacy while protecting its business interests and Chrome continues to fall far behind Safari and Firefox, end quote. Now, I will concede that this is just one post from two guys, though they do seem to be well-respected researchers. I'm sure that someone somewhere on the Internet has posted some sort of counter-argument to this supporting what Google is doing, but I have to admit I'm somewhat persuaded that this looks at least like a rear-guard action on Google's part that's probably unlikely to be persuasive, at least to the two other main web browser makers that seem to be the target of Google's defensive actions in the first place. Finally today, one of the knocks against self-driving technology has been that the technology really is most of the way there in a lot of use cases. It's just that the main thrust of research has been focused on the most devilishly difficult use case, i.e., autonomous cars driving on urban or suburban streets with, hopefully, an infinitesimally small error rate. Why are people concerned trolling the speed of the advance in self-driving vehicles? Because even if today we're 90% of the way there already, 
that last 10% is really where the Sisyphean heavy lifting will come in. So, a counter bullish argument for autonomous vehicles generally is that instead, we should be focusing now on the easier environments where existing technology might already be 97 or 99.7% of the way there. For example, autonomous driving on highways, easier. Autonomous operation of planes in the open skies, easier. And as we've mentioned before, autonomous boats. Think about it. In these spaces, there are far less opportunity or chance for edge cases to crop up and create those errors and accidents. Well, a ship called the Max Limer could be the first unmanned surface vessel to cross the Atlantic Ocean. The Max Limer is only 36 feet long, but it is completely robotic. It is produced by Seakit out of Southeast England. And it's already made history by sailing from Britain to Norway in the first completely unmanned commercial pipeline inspection. Also, it's made regular cargo runs between Britain and Belgium. And again, unmanned. No safety sailors on board like on Waymo cabs. The maiden transatlantic voyage for the Max Limer is slated for the first half of next year. Why might unmanned ships be a big deal? Quoting the Daily Beast. Eyeing potentially lucrative contracts supporting offshore oil and gas drilling, Seakit aimed to produce a flexible ship that's cheaper and safer than manned ships are. With no need to support a human crew, a robotic support ship could devote more space to equipment, including a flotilla of smaller drone boats and submarines that it can launch and retrieve. Since it doesn't get hungry, tired, or sick, it could sail at a leisurely 8 miles per hour until it runs out of fuel, potentially 9 months at a stretch. Max Limer is, quote, almost like a utility pickup vehicle of the sea, Seakit Managing Director Ben Simpson said. It's robust. It's adaptable. It's got a huge range, end quote. It can carry two and a half tons of cargo. And it's cheap. Quote, Seakit vessels use less than 5% of the fuel required to operate a standard ocean-going vessel, Neil Tinmouth Seakit's chief operating officer told the Daily Beast, this is a game changer when it comes to the carbon footprint and environmental impact of those operations, end quote. When the Max Limer is in port, or coming into port, a human operator steers the vessel via radio. Out at sea, it uses just regular old GPS. It's also got the usual cameras and sensor dome, like on a self-driving car. Right now, Seakit is focused on conducting ocean surveys for oil, gas, and wind companies, but the U.S. Navy is also beginning to experiment with unmanned ships. And then, of course, there would be the promise of unmanned cargo vessels. But the article cautions that would still be decades away. Which brings me back to my evergreen skepticism around self-driving cars. If unmanned cargo ships operating out in the vastness of the open sea is still decades away, how soon can we realistically expect an autonomous car to pull up to a street corner near any of us anytime soon? Hey, everybody. A couple weeks ago, I asked y'all to send us some candidates to host slash produce a celeb news ride home. And you came through. You sent us some insanely talented people. So... Let me do this one more time. Picture this. A gamer ride home. So, just like the tech meme ride home, but for gaming news, not tech news. 
If you are someone who would be perfect for this, email me at brian at ridehome.info. If you know someone who would be perfect for this, have them email me at brian at ridehome.info. Again, the same parameters apply. We'd love someone who has podcasting experience, but that's not required because we can train that, we think. We'd basically give far more weight to a journalist or blogger who has previous experience writing and covering news in the gaming space because the biggest skill set we need is someone who can know the space cold and who can reliably figure out what the biggest stories are in the space every day and then write them up quick and authoritatively. And as I said before, these are essentially franchise podcasts. There is a revenue share for all ad revenue generated. If you got a gamer ride home to the same audience as the tech meme ride home, the producer revenue share would be well into the six figures per year. So again, all interested parties, send an email to brian at ridehome.info with resumes or as much info on you as you feel like sharing. Talk to you all tomorrow.